welcome to the January podcast in our series of monthly podcasts from St John's in Harpenden. I'm Ian Pritchard. And I'm Reverend Tim, the Vicar of St John's. So as always, we are here in a shed at the bottom of the garden, not actually in St John's, but we're warm, despite the fact that it's a bit chilly outside. And we're going to talk about things that have caught the eye of the vicar and the team at St John's. So looking around, what's uh, what's been on your mind over the last week or two, Tim? Well, I think one of the things that's been uh, big in my mind has been uh, the war in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And particularly we're seeing this big debate at the moment about whether to send uh, heavy battle tanks uh, to help the Ukrainians uh, fight off um the Russian offensives or to keep them out of their territory. And I guess that made me think, um, and a lot of the, well, first of all, a lot of the debates are going on about whether that, what's right, the right thing to do, how much support should we give, um, you know, because we have a lot of weapons we're not giving them. And I guess that made me think about how you, de- how you d- do you decide if a war is a just war, if it's morally right? Because I think we can all agree that, like, we'd much prefer there was a, a world without any wars. But if we look back in our history, we know um, definitely we can all agree, I think, hopefully World War Two that was a war that we had to fight to rid the world of um, of the Nazis. Um, other wars have been fought since, which are perhaps more dubious and their reasons for risking people's lives um, perhaps are not so clear-cut. And where do we place the war that's going on in Ukraine at the moment and how do we decide, uh, from our perspective, whether it's a just or a moral, morally right war even if we'd rather there weren't any wars. Mm. So just before we dive into the question of whether the war in Ukraine is a just war or not, I, I wonder, Tim, if you could say something about what the definition of a just war is, particularly from the point of view of the Christian church, because obviously the term just has meaning for uh, everybody, uh, just and justice, but does it have a special meaning in, in terms of Christian approach to war? So in terms of like how you decide if uh, uh, there's been lots of thinking about uh, Christians in the past about whether war was just, and the way they look at it is in terms of whether it's um, right to go to war, so are the reasons for going to war right? And then also there's also the conduct of war, so do you behave in the right, there are rules of war and how we engage in war? And also there's another set of criteria about how we behaved after the war. And each of those, we, there's certain criteria in each of those as to whether they are um, just or not. So, for example, uh, if we were to decide whether it's right to go to war, we're saying, is there a just cause? Is there a really uh, just reason for doing so, for going to war? Is there something about justice? Are people, is there a need to um, you know, have justice in the world. Sometimes we can only bring about justice through going to war, sadly, because other methods of diplomacy don't work. Do we have the right intention and also the right authority? So, for example, in the UK and most democracies, we have a parliament, but we also have a Supreme Court, we have a justice system, we have public opinion, we have different ways of balancing different opinions on whether we think something is right or not that play out. Dictatorships tend not to have that freedom of press or freedom of thought for people to really think about whether something is uh, right to go to war. Um, there's also issues of sort of uh, probability of success. Um, so, for example, if you if we were to, we probably the UK would decide not to go to war against the United States in any case because our chance of winning is actually and the cost is going to be far greater. So we might find other other ways. 
but there may be a case where it's a last resort. We have no other choice to be mm. heard or mm. so that. So mm. there's lots of different ways of thinking about whether it's just. And one thing that we're thinking about at the moment, which you hear a lot in the news about proportionality. So how do we respond in the right manner? That's why we're not giving Ukraine all the weapons that they could ask for because we've got to decide is that proportional to the, their needs for defence and mm. everything. Mm. And a lot of that is if you go to the um, Bible and we're to look in the Bible and say, is there a chapter... A book in the Bible that says um, just war, Paul's letter on just war. Well, there isn't that, unfortunately. And so what we do is we pick together, we put together lots of approaches to war, how war is recorded in the Bible, what people say about it, what Jesus says about it. And then we try and say, um, is it the case? And different Christians will have different views. Some will say, no, we should be pacifists. Jesus, you know, was definitely not one for, he didn't create wars. That wasn't his role. Um, but other people will say, but if you know, can you ever have justice, which is what Jesus wants to bring to the world if you aren't prepared to fight for it at some point? And well, well can, can we just have a, a two minutes more on, on the Bible there? Because I think one might be forgiven for thinking that there's plenty of evidence in the Old Testament of just war, or war generally, really. People, uh, people go to war quite a lot uh, in the Old Testament. There isn't much reference directly to war in the New Testament. And so I'm just wondering whether this concept of a just war is a rather modern interpretation of what Jesus might have wanted to say if he had been asked the questions about war, rather than something which is genuinely rooted in, in, in Christianity, which would suggest pacifism under all circumstances is the correct response? Well, I would say it's it's a lot more it's complicated than that. So these are two things that Jesus says, okay? These are both from Matthew's Gospel. So Matthew says, at the end of his Gospel, when he was about to be arrested, he said, when he's about to be arrested, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, he also says from the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So you might think if we selectively chose those passages, we're saying, ah, Jesus is clearly saying things which support peace, definitely all for peace, and that's true. That's where I would go. But he also says, and this is in Matthew 10, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Yeah, that's metaphorical, though. That's (coughs) not a literal (coughs) sword. He's not suggesting that he's going to lay about people with a sword. He's saying there, surely, that he isn't offering a comfortable uh, set of choices, that one of the things he's going to do is set father against son and brother against sister uh, because of the difficult choices that he's going to ask people to make in their lives. He's not actually advocating that people should use violence. Is he? Um, so it's definitely true that um, the t- sort of Messiah that the the first century world or Jewish world was expecting was one who was going to be a military leader. He would defeat the occupying Romans and bring them, uh, the kingdom would bring to them now. Um, and there were other revolts. Uh, there was one uh, in, in the 60s and there was one later at 130 AD where there were violent up, uprisings and you know, it didn't go well for those people, let's just say. Um, the reason some of the people found it hard was because Jesus wasn't, he wasn't going to, he didn't lead a military revolt, that wasn't his way. But I think he was a recognition, but you could argue that he recognised that his views of the way the world were were going to come up against people who had opposing views of the way the world were. 
and sadly those two ways will probably clash in some ways and throughout history and the world Jesus lived was a very violent world people were going to wars he talks about wars as the sign of the end times when there's lots more wars um, so he would have accepted I think that you know but how do you do was he would he ask his followers to um, would he say well don't stand up for justice if someone comes along and says I'm going to oppress you where would Jesus stand? Would he stand on the side of the oppressors or the oppressed? So, 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 Tim, um, crunch question, I guess. If if Jesus were sitting here physically um, with us now and listening to us talk about the war in Ukraine, do you think Jesus would say the war in Ukraine is a war that's being fought by Ukraine as a just war? Um, I don't I wouldn't like to say I don't know what Jesus would say um, or how we would judge that he's obviously a god and I'm not so I wouldn't I'm not going to get drawn into saying imagine what Jesus would say but I would say no matter how right the other side might feel if you're going to invade a country if you're going to brutalise its occupants if you're going to restrict your own media and all this kind of stuff and if you're going to carry on doing that regardless of the cost that doesn't sound like you're leading a just war of invasion and therefore I would say that you know you stand with the people who are the victims of that which is uh, the Ukrainian people and not to say that Ukrainians are all behaving perfectly and there's not bad things happening there but I think when your country is invaded and the people the rights you know in the west it's all about people's rights for self-determination being done fairly and openly if those things are not met I would say yeah obviously it would be great if people sat down and could talk about it and negotiate but what if one side doesn't want to do that where do you stand then and I think would Jesus Jesus might say yes there's not going to be any war but would Jesus also stand idly by if thousands of people are being killed needlessly yeah right well Tim that was quite a big topic there so um what else has caught your eye over the last few days? Well, we've spoken a lot about um, perhaps the behaviour of other nations and it's always easy to look on others, perhaps disdainfully, or that we're better than them. But the good thing about living in a democracy is actually the, the ability to critique and look at our own government and our own way of life in an open and honest way. And I think it's quite fair at the moment, and has been for quite some while, that our um, government and particularly members of our government are perhaps not acting in the um, open, fair, honest way that we would like them to so that we can go to the dictators of the world, wow, you're doing that, but look at us, this is the model of how we should behave. And let's be honest, um, our government at the moment is uh, doing some things which might trouble us if we want to be able to look at ourselves as an example of good behaviour and good government. Yes, and... As you say, there's been plenty in the newspapers recently around that particular topic of integrity and accountability uh, in government. One of the questions, though, that I find um, arises for me anyway uh, out of this. So there is, of course, the famous bit in the New Testament where Jesus is asked, uh, coincidentally, uh, about taxes and replies that what's due to Caesar should be rendered to Caesar and what's due to God should be rendered to God. Does the same apply to the moral, ethical standards that we set 
ourselves and politicians? Is there a distinction between what we can reasonably expect of politicians, given the very difficult decisions we ask them to make every day, or should we expect the same of our politicians as we do of ourselves as Christians? Well, for my simple answer would be, yes, we should be holding everyone to the same account. Um, part of being the life of a Christian is that we believe in the coming of the kingdom of Jesus, where Jesus will rule in justice and peace and harmony. But we know that's not happened yet, but we should be working towards it with the way we live our lives now. And by saying that, we're acknowledging that we don't live in a world where it's easy to be honest and open. So I always lament the fact that, you know, <clears throat> if a politician were to say, actually, I want to do this, and then six months later go, well, actually, having seen the facts and look at it open, honestly, I've made a mistake and let's change our minds. We wouldn't go, mostly as a culture, we wouldn't go, oh, well, isn't that great? He sort of recognised his mistake and he made a correction. We'd go, oh, he's made a U-turn, he doesn't know what he's doing, let's use it as a reason to get him, you know, to win a political point against them. So we're not in a perfect world and so therefore, you know, our <coughs> actions don't have the perfect response we would like, perhaps. But if you look, go back to the word like integrity, so we're hoping that people are governing with integrity and honestly and in a fair way. Well, integrity comes from a Latin word meaning integer, which means the whole or complete. So we're looking at the whole or complete situation, the whole or complete person. And does that person, uh, the inner sense of wholeness, what we're seeing is that everything that's going on. Um, and I think a lot of our problems with politics is when what we're seeing is not everything that's going on and things are being hidden from us like with the tax affair, like with the loan that was given to Boris Johnson, like all these other things, and we're discovering them that perhaps what we're being presented with isn't entirely honest. Now, it's not just the church that says perhaps mm -hmm. we should expect more of our leaders. Uh, the government does as well, because there is this uh, set of principles, um, they're called the Seven Principles of Public Life, um, and they're known as the Nolan Principles, I believe. And these are for this, you can find them on the government um, website. They were published in 1995. And these are what they are. They're, we should expect from those in public positions of authority, uh, not just those at the very top, but everyone who's in positions of authority, we should expect selflessness. They should be acting solely in terms of public interest. We should expect them to have integrity. They should have objectivity. They should not discriminate or have a bias. They should be accountable. They're not above the law. They should be open about the decisions that they're making. They should be honest and truthful. And they should show um, actively promote these leadership in these qualities as well. So that's not from the Bible. That's uh, in a secular body saying these are the, what we should expect from people who are in positions of public authority and how they should behave. And guided against those, it's quite clear that you know, we're not seeing that in our government. And obviously, if we're not seeing that as an example as the way our lives are being, our government's being led, what's the example they're giving to people in their own dealings to, about how they should follow that example? Because people do follow the behaviour of those around them. That's what happens in history. The people set what's acceptable. As a Christian, how would I apply those? Well, I would think we're all trying to live um, lives that are formed in the image of Christ. Um, the church acknowledges that no one's perfect in that, and that's why when we gather on a Sunday morning, the first thing we do is we begin by confession. There's an opportunity to say, actually, I've, I've, I've not, um, I've not done perfectly this week. There are things I could have done better, and I need forgiveness. And all of us are included in that. You know, we're all in need of forgiveness. Um, but then, obviously, we're trying to say, but how do I do better this week? 
we're all learning as we're humans. And so there's a multitude of places you can look in the Bible to sort of get inspiration for that. And the one that came to mind for me was um, the gifts of the Spirit. So Paul, in his letters, he talks a lot about the gifts of the Spirit as opposed to the gifts, uh, the gifts of the flesh as a way of sort of discerning you know, the whole thing about turning to the light, turning to the good. And so the gifts of the Spirit are, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There's some principles of life which we could all aspire to, um, whether you're Christian or not. Yeah, so can I just ask a, a follow-up question, I suppose, which that prompts in my mind around inclusion, because one of the things that might differentiate people in politics from people who are following a Christian path in their personal lives is that politics is necessarily, in this country anyway, broader than Christianity. There are, there are lots of people in the country <clears throat> with, with and without faith and with different kinds of faith and standards. Mm. And so politicians have to accommodate all of that mm. and they have to find uh, a way of including those views in their thinking about decisions that they make. So how far do you think that should be true for Christians? That we should, that we should be accommodating and that we should be broad thinking? Or do you think that actually we should be um, sticking to those um, Christian principles that you've just yeah. um, listed there well, and asking our politicians to do the same? Yeah, and no, I think... <clears throat> Like a lot of the, these Christian principles, because we are, you know, founded on Christian principles as a nation, they're part of our sort of DNA as a country, whether you're religious or not. And some of the recent stuff is, and it's not about sort of biblical stuff. It's someone, you know, who has been dishonest about their um, where that how they're managing their tax. They've tried to cut up. They've been fined. They've been sacked. And actually, in their letter, they've not actually said, "Oh, actually, I did something wrong. I apologised." Hmm. That's not a. That's just about a decency of behaviour, isn't it? That we're saying, well, actually, hopefully, I would. It's beyond being just a Christian that most people would say, well, actually, you know, you know, you were found out, and you know, you've suffered the consequence. But you don't have to be Christian, I hope, to say that. You know, that was okay. That was the right thing to have happened. I guess the question maybe is, should we expect more of our government, or should? Um, because one of the big themes of Christianity is that that we hear throughout the Bible, and it's about humanity. It's that you know. The corruption of power. Even good people, when they become in positions of authority and they have power over us, make use that power subtly to favour their own interests, or you know they want to keep hold of that power, don't they? Because power is sort of quite a um, you know quite a thrill, really. And the and Bible so, has quite a bit to say about it. Does yeah. yeah, and Jesus, as we Jesus definitely, Jesus is the one who has all the power, and he decides. You know, there's many times he says, you know, if I wanted to, I could get. Um, you know, armies of angels come down to defend my place, but that's he's, he turns power upside down. He has it all, but he gives it away. Whereas humans are always seeking it. So I guess the question is, maybe we should say, should we be surprised that people are, you know, these kind of things happen in government because they've got power? The other question is, you know, I've been interested about what about, you know, sometimes it's easy, isn't it, to look at ourselves as being superior? Do Christians behave any better than other people of no face or other you know are christians better leaders i don't know we all, we all suffer the same 
um, same uh, temptations, don't we? And we're all as easy to, to slip and fall as another. So I guess it's difficult, but I guess to come up with a concrete answer, but I would say these are the things that we aspire to, but we should also acknowledge that like we're human and no one's perfect and mistakes do get made. And therefore, you know, we should, it's important that when people make mistakes that they're, you know, they can't just go, oh, I just made this really, you know, people need to suffer, have the consequence of their actions and you can do more damage if you're in a position where you have power than not. But we should also try to be forgiving and act with mercy as well. But that doesn't mean we can't ignore what's happened and go, oh, oh, it's okay, you're in government, we expect these things from our politicians, so carry on as normal. We should go, well, actually, we do aspire to better standards of public life. Mm-hmm. And I think the day when we sort of say, well, we let these things happen, or we, we don't allow people who uh, are critical to have their voice heard, is a day when probably uh, we're moving away from democracies to another form of government. Um, okay. Well, Tim, a couple of uh, heavy topics there. Um, and, and if people do want to um, respond, um, they can get in touch, can't they? Yeah, just What's drop the me. Best way to do that? Either get in contact with me uh, via my email address or get in contact via the uh, parish office. Um, I'm always happy to have uh, conversations. This is just a conversation starter and I always like having carrying on the conversation for those who listen. And maybe there's topics that you've read in the news that you think... I wonder what um, Tim and Ian think about that. And maybe we might, um, next time, we might um, have one of those at someone's Yeah, that would be great. That would be truly great. Okay, so meanwhile, Tim, thanks very much indeed. See you next time. Thank you. See you next time.